Hello and welcome to our weekly InfoSec Institute video series. Uh, once again, we will be discussing a career path for people either on the existing career path or looking to try something new uh, to change their life or change their career. Today, we'll be talking about a career in computer forensics with Amber Schroeder, who is the CEO and founder of Paraben Corporation. Amber has spent the last two decades as the driving force for innovation in digital forensics. Amber has developed over two dozen software programs designed for the purposes of recovering digital data from mobile phones, computer hard drives, email, and live monitoring services. In addition to designing technology for digital forensics, she has also spearheaded the process and the procedures for mobile and smartphone devices, as well as the emerging field of IoT devices. Amber is the patent holder on the EMI shielding container, otherwise known as Faraday Bag, as well as inventor of many other shielding products. Amber has written and taught numerous classes for the specialized field, as well as founded multiple certifications in the field. So we're going to start, uh, and again, this is uh, sort of coming from uh, a newcomer's perspective, but let's start talking at first a little bit about your professional journey. How did you get started in computer forensics, and what triggered your first interests in forensics? Um, I'd say the biggest thing that triggered me being interested, it was something that clicked in my brain. So this is the the odd side thing is that I'm dyslexic, so I naturally do everything backwards, which is really what computer forensics is about in the first place, is just taking all of security and doing it backwards and kind of putting those pieces together. And so it really clicked for me where some of the other things, they're like, hey, we really want you to do it always this way. Um, it was very prohibitive. Um, I've also been a big person of imagination, which I know you don't really hear in a technology thing. But um, I think it makes a huge difference in being in computer forensics and kind of going along that path. I started when I was um, 14 and worked my way kind of through the industry and up uh, until where I am now. Um, but that was really kind of one of the triggers is actually finding that little bit of success that said, hey, this clicks in my brain and I can kind of follow it. Now, do you feel like the uh, the sort of path that you followed uh, from age 14 to the present day uh, can be followed similarly now? Has the technology changed where, you know, like what were, what were some of your, your jobs along the way that sort of got you interested in this and so forth? Um, well, I definitely think technology has changed a lot. Um, nowadays, I look at it and I talk to my 15-year-old kid and he has no idea what a command line is. So I have to say it's probably a little easier than it was when I started um, where it's a lot more... Um, button clicking than it used to be. Uh, and so it makes it a lot more accessible for a lot of people who might want to switch out jobs as opposed to starting in the field from the foundational time until now. Um, I think it is a lot more accessible because it's uh, a lot more use of just technology. Um, I'm a fundamentalist. I believe you should actually understand how everything works. Um, but we're a dying breed in the digital forensic space. A lot of people have no idea what they're examining at the end of the day. For the benefit of our viewers who are considering computer forensics as a career for the first time, can you sort of walk us through the day-to-day -day activities of a forensics professional? Okay, so the big thing to have everyone debunked, there are no lab coats. There's no one walking around in pigtails and, and feeling like they're that edgy, like NCIS or CSI. It just doesn't happen. Um, you will wear gloves all the time because the computer data is just as digital as other people's data. It still belongs to someone else. Um, but the day to day is pretty simple. You spend a lot of time waiting for imaging to happen. Um, because that's just a fundamental aspect of it is that you're going to image something and computers only process it fast. 
Um, what I spend the majority of my time doing is I'll image and then I spend a lot of time in analytics and really trying to understand what my suspect is thinking when they're doing it. Um, I do a lot of smartphones. And so one of the aspects of a smartphone that's different than on a computer is you actually learn a vernacular associated with a person. And that can be very hard because there's a lot of times I'm like, okay, I totally don't understand what they're trying to say here. Let me figure out what this, if this acronym still means this when you're my age versus the age of my suspect, because it is so different. And some of those psychology aspects really um, become a lot more important when you start looking at digital data because it's very personal and active with that person. So a lot of it uh, spent in that um, troubleshooting because uh, stuff is abused and so it doesn't process like perfectly like they have on tv i think if my mom calls me one more time and says that you know why don't you do stuff faster they did the email in like 10 seconds and i was like mom it's not tv (laughs) it takes a couple days no no one's rotating 3d models in front of them no no they didn't just pop that out of nowhere and they're like oh you're like, yeah, great. No, I'm still breaking the exchange server down. She's like, exchange? They didn't have that on TV. You made that up. Nah. And I was like, no, I didn't. It's interesting because the CSI effect has really changed the digital forensic space. Um, it's made it a lot more attractive to people that they're actually interested because it exists. But as far as, you know, day-to-day, I mean, realistically, um, a T-shirt and jeans were actually casual in our lab, um, but we still treat it like a science. There's a lot of checklists. There's a lot of making sure you're following it and doing the same procedure every time, because otherwise I'd be doing more of an art than a science. And then, of course, there's validation. We do it once a quarter, so we have to revalidate our tools. It's kind of like calibrating a computer in a way. So we do that as part of our lab procedure, but... Um, I don't know if a lot of people do that. There's a lot of writing as well. No one ever talks about that in computers. You've got to be a good writer. There's a lot of it. Yeah, you're you're conveying it to some. You're conveying what you found to someone else. You're not just. Mm-hmm. And you have to make yeah. sure they can understand it. And it's even harder if you're doing any work with a jury because then you're explaining it to your mom. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> Or 10 of your moms. <laughs> yeah, 10 of your moms that are all talking together behind your back, and you're like, oh, please let them understand what Snapchat does. And yes. it's not pretty. <laughs> so what are some of the, the big challenges you can expect to face in a standard day? Like, what are what are the things that are really sort of difficult on a day-to-day basis to work through? I think um, part of it is the frustration of just things not going well or not working um, with mobiles more than computers. Normally computers, hey, you're going to have a problem pulling a drive, different things like that. You're going to have, you know, why does the day have this weird encryption? But with phones, it's you have to adjust for every phone because it's clanking around in someone's pocket and it really changes your acquisition. And then you're having to work in a Faraday cage on top of it, which makes it so you're like, great, I'm wearing these weird metal gloves while I'm working on this. And, you know, it's kind of that adjustment to it. It's not perfect. Everyone always expects working in in anything digital to be perfect. And it's a lot of troubleshooting. It's okay. It worked great this time. Um, Let me, you know, follow the procedure. Let me image it with more than one tool. And then um, it didn't work great with the second tool. And you're like, great. Now I'm on the third tool. And when you hit like the fourth tool, it's a camera. And you're taking pictures of a screen and everything else. And you're like, this is not what I expected. Yeah. So on the other side of that, what are the most interesting parts of the job? Um, I think actually, don't laugh. It's the data. Not that reading everyone's little, you know, deep dark secrets is that exciting, but it's interesting to see how people actually function with their data. 
I did a case in the last 12 months and I use it as an example because it was the first time in my career I've ever uh, had my suspect where the only device they used for the internet happened to be a smartphone. And so they had 235,000 text messages. And I looked at that and I was like, holy crap, this is a lot of reading. I don't want to read this. Yeah. They had 125,000, 130,000 cookies on a phone. On a phone, and you're just like, this is a massive amount of data for something you wouldn't expect that to come from. And there was a lot of sifting. It actually took two of us to do the analysis because actually of an age difference. We only had an age difference between me and the other examiner of about five years, but she was from a different region of the country because I didn't understand the vernacular. So I couldn't put everything together on my own. It took it took that extra, you know, kind of explanation. But that data part is very fascinating. If you like doing puzzles and putting things together, digital forensics is the space for you. <laughs> so um, what are the certifications that you think are crucial to have when considering hiring a forensic person, uh, professional or being one? Uh, and do you think that certifications are a mark of knowledge on the candidate's part or is hands-on work weighted more heavily? Uh, do you think there's there's uh, advantages to both, disadvantages? I think there are advantages to both of them. Um, so a lot of the certifications in digital forensics actually come from the manufacturers. So, for example, Paragon, we have our own certifications that are associated with our tools because we're essentially telling you how do you use this drill to the best capacity you can use this drill. You know, and so you have to go through that process for it. You'll get that from um, open text. You'll get that from access data, et cetera. So they'll each teach you that. So that's important because I don't want you to come into the office and not be able to use the drill. That gets a little freaky because I have to wait for you to be functional with the tools you're given. And so that's important to get the uh, diverse offering of that. I think that's the other thing is not make sure it's centric to one thing. Um Overall certifications, I think there's a variety of them out there from ethical hacking, like a certified ethical hacking forensic examiner. I can't ever do the acronyms. It's the dyslexia. So, um, yeah, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of them. Um, those have a value to them because you're going to learn those fundamentals, as are like the college degrees you can get in cyber and different things like that. But you need to have those fundamentals. Um, those certifications didn't exist when I started. Um, because it was in the very beginning. And so a lot of that, you can actually compensate for some of it with really taking time to read some of the fundamental books. You know, there's great books out there that you understand. If I'm going to do a file system work, I'm going to read Brian Carrier's book on file systems because that would make sense. He's got fundamental information on that. Um, and being up to date in those areas based on the type of exam you're going to do. Cause that's the big thing is you get variety. Um, I'm also dyslexia and ADHD. I'm like a combo pack. So um, with that, it makes it so it is very interesting because you're not doing the same thing every day, but it means I'm constantly having to do a learning. So yes, in the certifications, a huge variety out there, but a lot of people have started to specialize. I keep myself well-rounded, so I'm not necessarily specialized in one place. But a lot of people emerging in the field there, I'm only going to be doing computers. I'm only going to do mobiles. Um, IoT almost. There's actually not that many people doing IoT right now. But you're kind of seeing subsets come out just because the knowledge base is so large. 
Uh, do you think that there's a strengths and weaknesses to either? Do, you you personally, do you recommend still staying well-rounded or do you see benefits in, in the specialty? I think it's better to stay well-rounded because you see too many trends change with, um, so we have devices, the big talk about Apple right now is how they're changing their firmware and they're locking out um, computer forensic tools, essentially. That's really what it's doing. It's disabling the port. So you look at that and say, well, what's the future of doing Apple forensics? What if that's my specialty? Then you just kind of cut yourself off and you're like, great, now I need a new career path. It's like, okay, you're going to go open a food truck. So you got to adjust and say, hey, no, let me see that I have some other skill sets associated with it. There is a massive technology merging happening no matter what, where our, our all of our different electronics are kind of coming together. And you're seeing, like I always joke, I said, um, I'm going to put out an article where it's Cortana and Alexa and Siri, how they're like, the new version of the Heathers, you know, the new best friends of each other that are trying to rule everyone because that's multiple platforms. And that's really where we're having to look and research. And so people understanding that and understanding things like the cloud, I think are really important because that's really where data is ending up going. Um, Now, sort of moving on from that to uh, sort of the workforce, um, what types of companies and organizations can a forensic professional expect to work with? Are you mostly working on sort of contract basis or do any corporations feature uh, or hire an in-house forensic expert? Um, a lot of them hire an in-house forensic expert. They become part of their risk assessment team a lot of times. So you're usually um, communicating and reporting with the legal department, which you wouldn't expect. You'd be like, why are they part of IT? Um, but a lot of times you're reporting over to the legal. I'm surprised in how many corporations I never would have guessed it have internal forensic examiners because you never know when there's going to be um, a response to an HR issue, a compliance issue, whatever it may be that might not be a breach where we're used to seeing that kind of on the security side and the forensic side, you kind of get all the little pieces as well. Um, so they'll have one to two guys in a company that is a multi-billion dollar company that just do digital forensics. So I think there is always a call for that. There's also lots of people out there that have um, external hires as far as doing it in contracting as well. Um, Could you tell us a little bit? I know you sort of come to computer forensics from the sort of corporate or private sector. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about the difference in your sort of day-to-day work between corporate private versus uh, law enforcement, how your skills vary, what your, your activities are and so forth? So corporate, I have a lot more regulations on me. That really is what it comes down to. I have a lot more restrictions. There's extra paperwork associated with it. There's um, a lot more consent that you have to get from the different parties involved to make sure that you're able to access every layer of the digital data that they have. So you do get bogged with a little bit of paperwork in comparison to law enforcement where they kind of get one tier of paperwork and it gains them access to a lot of different things. Um, the other thing is the type of data that I'm looking at. Um, I prefer looking at the corporate style and civil data than I would want to look at the law enforcement data. And I have a lot of respect for those that do do it because it's very hard to see the digital crimes that are happening um, on that side. Uh, that is actually an area that I'm sure you're going to have someone talk about that on the law enforcement side, but they've actually had to start dealing with the how do you cope with the type of data you see. Digital forensics doesn't uncover, you know, unicorns and rainbows all the time. Uh, so it's like you have to be prepared for that zombie unicorn that's in there that's like, ooh, this is, this is bad. I didn't expect to see this. 
Now, um, do you need to be on kind of one career track or the other? In, I mean, we talked about specializing mm-hmm. before, but do computer forensics professionals move freely between sort of law enforcement and private sector? Oh, absolutely. I think they can. A lot of uh, law enforcement, when they retire and they go private sector, they'll make sure they stay a sworn officer with the group that they did work with and volunteer their time into some of the organizations that are out there, like ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children. They can volunteer that way. Um, So they'll stay current in both ways. Um, If they decide to start their own shop, you know, obviously in doing this type of thing, it's all about making sure you have the right a letter of engagement, consent agreements, and of course, um, insurance, because you're dealing with people's data. And so you want to make sure you have all that put into the place before you start your own shop up. What are some of the most common mistakes that computer forensics aspirants make along the way? Like what is something that you could do uh, that would sort of put you back in your journey that you should watch out for? Okay, so I get to like actually pull out a little soapbox and I get to stand on it. So here's my pet peeve. Um, People forget that it's supposed to be a science. It's not an art. You don't just kind of walk in and be like, I feel like doing it like this today and it's going to work out really well for you. And so a lot of organizations um, that do have forensic people and a lot of people starting into it don't go through and actually do proper validation of their tools and they don't revalidate them. Because it'd be nice if like, oh, our systems never change, but we're dealing with digital data. And so it's changing all the time. So there's a lot of that process and procedure that they're missing. And I even as I deal with different attorneys, I say that's the first question you ask the other side. It's like, what's your validation plan? Because it's kind of calling them out. It's not necessarily about what my personal certification is. It's how is my lab actually functioning as a lab? And people forget that aspect of it because it's writing and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. It doesn't sound exciting. It's not interesting. It's like, it doesn't take long, but it's maintenance. You have to do it. You wouldn't sit and never update windows. We all suck it up through patch Tuesday. And this is kind of your, your quarterly patches that you have to do to your lab accreditation in a way, not official accreditation, but just every lab has to have validation and they're not doing it. And I think it's going to really catch some people and it's going to make horrible case law because as a digital forensic person, I have the burden of proof. My job is to prove your innocence or your guilt. It's either side. It's not just one side. It's not like, oh, everyone out there is guilty. No, it's you're proving innocence or guilt. And uh, they forget that. And you have an obligation associated with it. That's my like old school. Here's my old soapbox. I couldn't put it away. Yeah. And and again, that sort of speaks to, you know, this sort of new generation of people who might have seen NCIS or whatever. And, you know, I can just kind of come in on my instinct and, you know, just throw me away way through it. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're going to sit down. They're going to open his computer and you're going to start reading his email. And it's like, it's right there. And it's like, nope, it doesn't work like that. Nope. nope. Um, So, again, this is a sort of because this is a career path and because not everyone is already sort of along the way, but might be watching this and thinking that they want to, you know, make a sideways jump into computer forensics. Uh, What is one thing uh, that a person could do or make in their current job that would bring them a little closer to a full-time career in computer forensics, whether that's, you know, reading in the evenings or asking for an additional responsibility at work or, you know, doing something hands-on? 
I think there's a couple of different things that they can do. First off, before they decide to explore the field, remember one crucial thing is no one can teach you to be the investigator part of it. They can teach you all the computer stuff. Every single one of us that is a nerd, we can, you know, go through. We actually like our computers. We probably talk to it on occasion. All those things, that's the easy side of it. The side that's very difficult to teach is really building up that imaginative approach to the data that says, okay, how do I know that Bob is talking to Sally and they're committing these crimes together? And that process is really that part that you should should look to refine a little differently and make sure it's something you like to do. But in the evenings, it's the same thing I do to maintain my career, which is a lot of reading on what emerging technologies are and how they're going to impact forensics. How can they be used in a crime? Um, I sign up for free training all the time that says, okay, let me sit and watch this and, and see that experience for someone else. I'd actually go to every manufacturer that makes technology for this space because it's heavy R&D in this space and start subscribing to their YouTube channels. I never thought I would say that. I feel like I'm too old to say that I totally spent time watching YouTube, but I spent time watching YouTube because there's good content on there that walks me through it and teaches it and then practice. The best data to practice on is your own. And because you understand it, you know what it's like to kind of go through it and say, oh, I did send that text message or, oh, I did send that email. And be able to know that you could find it means you can find it on someone else that you don't know anybody, anything about. A lot of times you're just given a computer and like, I know nothing. Great. Let's see what I can put together and find. It's a practice field. I don't think it's one of those that you can just read all the time or you can just do certifications. I think it's a practice. Um, I always encourage people, you know, practice on your kids. They're minors. Enjoy it. You know, look at what they're doing. I know I'm going to get so much crap for that. But yeah. at the end of the yeah, day, yeah. that's what I did. That's what I did with my kids. You know, they had an obligation. Yeah, they'll be like, no. But at the end of the day, it's it's true. At the end of the day, it's a great way to, one, it's a great way to start a conversation that says, hey, you really shouldn't be going there on the Internet. Let's talk about why. But it's a good way to kind of understand how natural digital movement occurs. You can't do that from fake data. You get that from real people using it. Let's talk a little bit about the career field these days. What is the career field like for forensics experts these days? Is it growing? I assume it's probably growing, but like, uh, you know, what are some ways that you can set yourself apart in a potentially tight job field? Statistically, it is growing. So that's a positive is um, uh, usually when economies do better, then there's more crime. So it's growing. <laughs> more people going to court, all those things, you know, that's all signs of a, a positive economy and everything else. Um, things that you set yourself aside, uh, again, people laugh at me. They're like, that's not a digital thing. But actually being a good writer is a huge difference because it is a lot about your reports because that's really your work product at the end of the day is making sure that it's coming across clearly that you can convey those ideas in written language because the other side is that if you end up going and giving testimony, you've got to be able to do it verbally. If you can't do it written, you probably can't do it verbally. Um, they kind of coincide with one another um, and just kind of putting themselves out there for it. If people don't feel comfortable with that, then they need to get comfortable with it. You know, old school, join Toastmasters, things like that. So you can you can actually start being comfortable about uh, conveying information to other people. It's not like IT where you kind of sit in your zone and maybe not share it with others. This one you're going to share with somebody. It's 
probably going to be a lawyer too, which they're not always happy to hear what you have to say. Looking ahead now uh, to you know the, the years to come, uh, do you what, what what is your sort of uh, sort of spot prediction of where the field of forensics is going to be going in the years to come in, with regards to technology changes mm-hmm. or it's it's going to come down to a lot more um, cloud and a lot more live. So those people out there that do have network skills, that's really going to become quite handy and a lot easier to kind of cross the bridge over to be able to capture data in a digital forensic manner um, because that's where the data is existing. It's not sitting on the computer so much anymore as it's, it's out there. It's on someone else's computer now. I mean, it's on the cloud. And because of that, I think having that mixed skill set will be a big deal. If I were to pick my area of knowledge that's the weakest, it's actually probably on the network side because I rarely, I rarely do anything with network forensics anymore. I'm doing either dead box, I'm doing smartphones or I'm doing IOT, which means I'm also doing cloud. And I realized I'm like, oof, I had to pull back in those recesses, you know, to that other partition and say of my brain that says, okay, let's, let's review that old information I had in there and update it and make sure I'm good to go. But I think it's an easier bridge for people because that's coming very, very quickly. Um, in the next year, probably being able to understand a cloud architecture and where data is stored in the cloud and how you can potentially capture it will be an entirely unique skill set, and people will love having that on their team. That's fantastic. Uh, That's a really great place to wind things up. Do you have any uh, final uh, tips or encouragements for potential computer forensic aspirants? I think the biggest thing is don't give up. It's never uh, never an easy transition, um, and it's not... Every case isn't one of those you go, yes, I found a smoking gun. It was amazing. A lot of times you're like, I found nothing. I just looked at a hundred thousand different things and I read through all of it and I found nothing, you know, it's a process and they're not always going to be interesting. But at the end of the day, it's that old school justice side of me, you know, I was grew up wanting to be Wonder Woman. So it was, you know, I know I'm doing my best to prove an innocence or guilt. And that's why I really love this space. And I've stayed with it for as long as I have. Well, we're awfully glad that you uh, have stayed with it for this long, and I would like to thank you very much, Amber Schroeder, for talking to us today. Uh, Just a reminder for those of you watching this video, InfoSec Institute also uh, features classes and online boot camps uh, and in-person boot camps on computer forensics and many other topics. You can visit us at InfoSecInstitute.com. And if you'd like to read lots more about computer forensics, you can also check out our daily updated blog, resources.infosecinstitute.com. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you again soon.